0: morning everyone, my name is Philip and I will bring you the second Bible reading. This is found in John chapter 1 and we're reading verses 14 to 18. The Word became flesh and lived for a while among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, this was he of whom I said, he who came after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the only Son, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Amen, and may God add his blessing to his word. Well, now that uh, December is here, it is the Advent season, which is uh, preparing for Christmas. And so I don't know how you feel about this season, but who feels that this is particularly busy? Anyone? Or the the month or the year is winding off and it's actually pretty easy now? I suspect for many of us it's actually all over the place, isn't it? Booking lunches, dinners, shopping, presents, getting all those things ready. Uh, Buying presents is one of those things that it's worse than mowing the lawn for me, so it's not my, one of my things. But how do we prepare? So this is the Advent season. How do we prepare well for Christmas? Because if we don't prepare well, what may end up happening is that the season of Christmas will come and go so quickly that we've missed the awe and the wonder and the miracle of Christmas itself. And so we want to prepare well, and so hopefully today will help us with that. Well, let's join in prayer, and we'll, we'll consider this passage. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we prepare for Christmas, as we're reminded of what you have done coming from heaven to earth in your Son, Jesus Christ, help us to not lose sight of the wonder, the awe, the miracle of what you have done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the theme for this month is what really happened at Christmas. It's what we'll be exploring and hopefully this will help us prepare for Christmas and if you were to answer that question, what really happened at Christmas, how might you answer that? I suspect, I suspect it depends on who you ask. You ask a child, maybe they'll be saying, well, it's about Santa Claus. That's what really happened. In fact, according to statistics, nine in ten Australians believe in Santa Claus when they were kids. That's 90%. I'm not sure if that's true of us, but 90%. 80% of parents give their children presents from Santa. So a lot think about, Santa at Christmas, that's what really happened. But of course, for us, we know what happened at Christmas, don't we? We display it in the nativity scenes, that's what's happened. That, that was the history, that was the first Christmas. And so we picture it, we try to portray it in the nativity scene. And I was looking around the internet on, well, what do we have in a nativity scene? And I found this one from Amazon, looked like this. not a cheap one. A stable you have there with a cattle, a little lamb, Mary and Joseph, baby Jesus in a manger, a star, and three wise men. But was that really what happened at Christmas? What do you think? I mean, for many of us, perhaps that's our picture of Christmas. That was what happened. Well, the reality was not exactly. We don't know if there were donkeys, so we'll put the cross on the donkey. We don't know if there was a cattle at all. Even though in that carol, Away in a Manger, we sing the cattle were lowing, whatever that means, the Gospels speak of no cattle at all at Christmas. So we put a cross there. And that was perhaps, it was not really a stable. Now you have the nativity scene, you think it's an A-frame stable. Perhaps it wasn't even that at all. What was most likely the case was perhaps a section of the house where the animals were brought in at night time. However, if Mary was giving birth that night, animals would have been kept on the outside. So forget that too. No stable. There's perhaps a room connected to a house. And the nativity scene, of course, you need to have the star and the wise men. Well, the reality was... The star did guide the wise men, or the magi, in fact. We don't know if there were three of them. It wasn't on the first Christmas. It was perhaps a year, two, or even three years after Christmas, so we put a cross there too. That did not happen. And then we sing carols like Silent Night. What do we sing? It's a favorite of many. We sing the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Have you thought about those words? what type of baby does not cry? It's a plastic one. I was going to put a cross over Jesus, but I didn't. But we do have Jesus on Christmas Day. But even if we were to get the story right, get the nativity scene all right, what really did happen? Why did it matter? What was the whole point? Because you see, if we understand Christmas rightly, then we move from, Christmas being merely about the busyness of this season the bustling of this world to the peacefulness and the calmness of our hearts if we understand Christmas rightly then Christmas moves from merely the nostalgia of the memories of our childhood to engaging with the wonder of transcendence if we understand Christmas rightly we move from the pangs of pain and the feelings of loneliness. I mean even at Christmas time with all the crowds many people even in the crowds feel so lonely. We move from the pangs of pain and loneliness and the unsettledness of the heart to the glory and the splendor and the miracle of Christmas and what God has done. You see, we need to understand Christmas rightly. So what really did happen? Well, what happened was heaven and earth was bridged and God showed up. Heaven and earth was bridged and God showed up. You see, Christmas was the event that answered the deepest longings and yearnings, the aches that exist inside the human heart. It was what humanity has been longing for for since the beginning of time, even though we may not have realized it. And it is the longing to connect with someone bigger, someone greater, to connect with the transcendent. It's a longing for the divine. There's this sense in the deepest parts of our souls that there must be something more. There must be something more. And Christmas is the answer to that. You see, back in 1977, NASA, they sent out some spacecrafts, Voyager 1 and 2. And on these spacecrafts, they included greetings from Earth, greetings from 59 different languages. And so in Hebrew, it was Shalom. In English, the greeting recorded and placed on the spacecraft was Hello from the children of planet Earth. Now, why would NASA do that? Why would they place all these greetings on these spacecrafts that they are sending into outer space? Why would you do such a thing? Well, it's because it reveals the longing of the human heart. There is this longing for something more, this longing to connect with the transcendent. You know how people often say, we all have a God-shaped hole in our hearts? It sounds cute, doesn't it? But it is, in fact, true. Because God has set eternity upon our hearts. We are all wide for God. And we feel that. We know that in our experiences in life. You see, when we face difficulties, and this year, for, for some in our church, it has been a very difficult year. It has been a, a terrible year. Overbearing year. And when we face difficulties, in fact, even people who do not believe in God, what comes instinctively When crisis arrives. Well, what comes instinctively is to pray. God, please help. And you can understand why when life is out of control, when it is messy and broken and just feels so burdensome, what comes naturally out of the heart? Well, is there anyone there? Does anyone care? It's a cry that comes from deep within. In fact, in a study that was done during the early months of COVID in 2020, Google searches for prayer rose 30%. Google searches rose. The highest level ever recorded. And in April of that year, more than half the world population had prayed, according to this study. You see, there is this God-shaped hole in all of our hearts. And it's captured by, you know, that YouTube Bono song. I mean, this is a few decades ago, so some of you will remember, you too. Back in 1987, he wrote this song. I won't sing it. I was tempted to, but I won't. I have climbed the highest mountains. I have run through the fields. You know that one? It's a good one. Only to be with you. Only to be with you. But the chorus goes, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You see, for Bono, he lost his mum at 14. He became a Christian at 18, and he calls that song a gospel song with a restless spirit. It's a song that reflects that inner yearning in all of us for something more, someone greater, a connection with the transcendent. It's a longing that we've seen throughout the ages. We see in the Bible recorded over thousands of years ago in Psalm 42, for example, as a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. It's this inner longing. There must be more. There must be God. And my soul is panting for God. Or Psalm 63. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. There is this inner starving for God. Or Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? I mean, that's an amazing verse, isn't it? In heaven, who do I have but you? Who do I want but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. You see, it's when times are bad, we recognize there is this inner yearning, inner longing for more. And you know that if you had a bad year. You know, know that from the inside. But it's only not only when times are bad that we yearn and long for. In fact, even when times are good, when we are happy, we still yearn and long for more. Have you been to weddings where you feel, this is so glorious, so wonderful, so beautiful. It's just like the perfect day. But yet it does still set the heart longing, longing for more. Is there even more than this glorious day? Or holding a newborn child. I've had that wonderful privilege three times. And that experience, how can you top that experience of holding your child for the first time? But yet perhaps even then there is more. Even the greatest day, perhaps even then, there is more. In fact, I remember one of the most breathtaking experiences I had was up in the Swiss Alps. It was just unbelievable. Out of this world, beyond words can describe, so captivating, so glorious and beautiful, snow-capped mountains as far as the eye can see. The grandeur of the scenery is so hard to just soak in. It just fills the heart, but yet... Even at that point, is there more than this? Did you know C.S. Lewis, that great author of the Narnia series? He described it so well. He, He said, It was when I was happiest that I longed most. It was on the happy days when we were up there on the hills with the wind and the sunshine. And because it was so beautiful, it set me longing always longing somewhere else, there must be more of it. And what's that longing for? It's the longing for God. Starving for God to fulfill and to satisfy. And in the Bible, what do we find? God, in fact, promises he will do that. He will do just that. In Isaiah 64, Oh, that you would render heavens and come down. And the mountains will tremble before you. There's a promise from God. And then in the classic Christmas one, Isaiah 9, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And So there's this inner yearning and longing, and God promises that. And then what happened at Christmas? What happened was God showed up. God showed up. I love how one parson author, David Mathis, he puts it. He said, The glory of Christmas is not that it marks the birth of some great religious leader, but that it celebrates the long-anticipated coming of God himself, the arrival for which God wired our souls From the beginning to ache, we have been aching for that Christmas. And at Christmas, God came. But he came not as you would expect, because how would you expect God to enter the world? The one of infinite power and glory, how do you expect almighty God to come? Well, you would expect an angelic royal fanfare. You expect a cosmic thunderstorm. You expect earth-shattering apocalypse but then what did we get instead we got a quiet peaceful in the darkness of night in almost an uneventful evening in the outback of the roman empire in the obscure town of bethlehem heaven and earth was connected the transcendent became tangible The invisible became visible and the divine became human. You see, God entered into the mess of this world. I mean, why would God do that? He could see from heaven above, this is a broken, messy, sinful world that is hurting. But he entered into this hurting world as a helpless baby with blood and bones and flesh and fingernails. As a human, you see, when we celebrate Christmas and our understanding of Christmas is just shopping and presents and eating and drinking and being merry, we have really missed the point. There is so, so much more because at Christmas, God invaded His creation. And so, if we understand this, we can't be anything but be enchanted again be in awe again, see the splendor again, the the miracle again of Christmas. But then how did God show up? Well, now we come to our passage. How did God show up? He showed up just like one of us, flesh and bones. Now we have to try to appreciate again how profound this was. Because here we're talking about Almighty God, the one who is infinite in power. In wisdom, the one who is spirit. How do you contain God? How do you put limits and boundaries around God? That, that's just hard to fathom. But then we come to this passage. And so have a look. Turn to John 1. And we'll start from verse 1. Verse 1. In the beginning was the word we read. In the beginning was the word which means that the word of God is eternal. Whenever the beginning was, the word was there. And the word of God is used as a title for Jesus, which is interesting. But John, you see, was picking up on the idea that the word of God is God's own agent. As God spoke, his word, his agent, fulfilled what God sends it out to do. And the word of God is God's self-expression. God speaks his word, and that's how we know about God. And so in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, which means this word of God is in fellowship with God. And the word was God. Just in case we think this word is less than God, no, he was divine. He was with God in the beginning. And then we read on. Through him all things were made that has been made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made, which means this word of God is the creator. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. He is also the life giver. That is how Jesus is described. And then at Christmas, what happened? Well, we get to our passage, verse 14. The word became flesh. God took on flesh. Flesh. Before Christmas, God is spirit. From all eternity past to the point of Christmas, God is spirit. But then at Christmas time, God the Son took on human flesh. It is new. He took on human flesh. That's where we get the word incarnation from. The Latin word "incarno" to take on flesh. Now at this point we want to pause again and just appreciate the wonder of what God the Son did. One of infinite power almighty glory contained in the frame of an infant child how can you make sense of that the glory of god contained in the frame of a helpless crying child you see in the old testament solomon couldn't make sense of it king solomon he built the majestic temple It was wonderful and glorious. It was meant to be fitting for God. But yet he also recognized, as grand as his temple was, in 2 Chronicles he said, The temple I'm going to build will be great, because our God is greater than all other gods. But who is able to build a temple for him? Since the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain him. Who then am I to build a temple for him except a place to burn sacrifices before him? See, Solomon recognized even the heavens itself cannot contain God. God stands outside of creation. He's above the universe. How can it contain him? How can a temple contain him? And yet God has come as a child. And so what happened at Christmas? I mean, how do you squeeze infinite power into the frame of an infant child how do you screw something so big into something so small next uh, week when i'm on leave i'll be away for a few days and we're going to go camping and you know how camping trips go actually i don't know anything about it so i'm just speaking from from my the stories of others but when you go camping uh, setting up that's pretty easy but it's the packing up that's hard because you have to squeeze all this big sleeping bag into this little bag. How do you do that? You know, it's pretty hard. And the tent, you have to get it back into the same bag they, they've given. It's hard. Getting something big into something small. I mean, that's probably not a very good illustration, but try to squeeze infinite power into a helpless infant child. How do you do that? That's why Charles Wesley, great hymn writer, he said, Our God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. How do you bottle up power and glory? But in the Christmas story, God burst into the womb of the woman he created, breaking into our realm from another realm. God the Son, Jesus Christ, made himself vulnerable, just like us. So human he can feel pain. And sorrow, so human he would get hurt, he could be scorned, he could be whipped, so human he could be mocked, so human he could weep, in fact, so human that he could even die. You see, God the Son intruded his creation to be like one of us. Bono again, he said once, You look across at Jesus, and you see someone who is so familiar because he's just like us. And so do you see how if we reduce our Christmas celebrations to just being about the turkey, we have really missed the point. But God did not just come to be like us. He came to be with us. In the Old Testament, the great comfort of the people of God was that they had the presence of God. God was with them. And you read the story of Exodus. Moses did not want to go anywhere unless God's presence was with him. And so you read in Exodus 33 If your presence does not go up with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Moses will not go anywhere apart from the presence of God. And then what did God do in Exodus? Well, what God did to show his presence with them was he got them to build a tent, a tabernacle. That's what it was called. It was meant to be the meeting place between God and his people. And so when the cloud of God was lifted, they would pack up the tent and they would follow it. And when the cloud of God stopped, they would pitch the tent again. They would pitch the tabernacle. It was how God dwelt with his people. Now you see, what happened at Christmas? Something profound happened. Because what did Jesus do? We look at verse 14 again. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now the word for dwelling is the word tabernacle. It is that same word. God the Son, the word became flesh and he pitched his tent among us. Jesus was the presence of God amongst his people. Which means the meeting point between God and humankind is no longer this tent of the Old Testament or the temple, but Jesus Christ himself. And so that longing, that yearning for God, that ache in the heart, God's answer was Christmas. When Jesus came to be like one of us and to be with us, he is God with us. It's why he's given the name Emmanuel, God with us. He's come to earth into this broken, hurting world, and he says to us, in your darkest moments, in the moments of despair, in the moments of heartbreak, in the moments when you feel alone, Jesus says, I care for you. I'm with you. And in our happiest moments... Just like what C.S. Lewis said, there is something more to that. And Jesus says, well, I am the more that you have been longing for. I am the one behind it all, the one behind all your joys. And so Christmas is Jesus becoming like one of us, to be with us, but to also make God known to us. To see Jesus, this is profound, to see Jesus is to see God. And so verse 14 again. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now again, we have to allow that to sink in a bit. If you think about it, it's very hard to capture glory. It's very hard to capture magnificence, splendor. How do you capture that? I mean, my Swiss Alps experience, I try to capture that with with a camera took some photos. I've got a photo on my wall. I tried to describe it. It's breathless, that the majesty, the splendor of being up there. But you can never capture it with cameras nor with mere words. Or if you've been to symphonies at the Hamer Hall, you know, the the, the wonder of having all the instruments played together so harmoniously gives you goosebumps. It's so wonderful. But then you've got these parents with the cameras up taking a photo or video of their kids, You can never capture that moment, can you, on those cameras? You can never capture glory. But yet here, Jesus fully captures God because he is God. For Jesus fully captures God. To see Jesus is to see the glory of God. And to see the glory of God is to see the character of God. And what's the character of God? God. Full of grace and truth. It's what we long for. Someone to love us so unconditionally, even if we don't deserve it. Oh, Jesus is full of grace. Someone we can rely on, someone who is truthful, faithful. Oh, Jesus is the one. And so Jesus comes full of grace and truth to show what God is like. The words and deeds of Jesus are the words and deeds of God. He fully captures God. And so at Christmas, what do we get? We get God. To see Jesus is to see God. You want to know what God is like? You look to Jesus. You want to know if God actually cares for the weak and the vulnerable and the disease and the leper and the sick. If God cares for justice, you look to Jesus. In fact, if you want to know if God loves us, to what extent God loves us, you look to Jesus. In fact, you looked at a cross. Jesus makes the invisible God visible. And so in our final verse, verse 18, it's made clear no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. You know, this is what the human soul has been starving for, yearning for, longing for, and God's answer is Christmas. And so what happened at Christmas? I mean, how will you celebrate Christmas? this christmas well we can keep it superficial can't we just eat get busy drink have fun but to celebrate christmas rightly it has to run deeper to the deepest part of our souls you see this christmas we do all come with different feelings we've had different experiences this year some of us had terrible years Some of us had marvellous years. Some of us might approach Christmas with trepidation. We're stressed up to here. We might be under financial pressure, the strains of relationship, and some of us may not even be looking forward to those family dinners and lunches because it's going to be chaotic. It's not going to be harmony. But this Christmas, we're reminded that God cares because he has come. This Christmas, we're reminded that despite the crowd and all the fun and the bustling of the music and the carols and the eating, we may feel alone, but we remember this Christmas, we are never alone. And we're reminded this Christmas that even when it feels like I'm alone and no one loves me at all, well, God does. Because he has come in his Son to love us to the extent that is without limits, And an eternal love without fail. Because God came and took on frail human flesh to be with us. This is how we prepare. This is how we prepare. The king of heaven exchanged his throne for a cradle. The almighty swaddled himself with vulnerability. The creator entered into his creation. The author put himself on a page. The infinite became an infant. The giver became the give. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonder and the awe and the splendor and the miracle of Christmas, that you would, in your mercy and kindness, full of grace and truth, do such a thing for us. And so help us, Lord, to prepare well, to prepare in the deepest parts of our souls to know that we do have that God-shaped hole that only you can fill and that you have in your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.